The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today, why we march. This is the 50th anniversary of the March for Life this week, coming up on this Friday. I mean, it's bigger than politics because the sanctity of life is a foundational principle that curbs us all that challenges us all that leads us all and and so we march it is a celebratory thing because roe v wade was finally put on the ash heap of history in terms of its constitutional protection and like we've said on this program Roe v. Wade always had this veneer of respectability. People could shut down whatever you were talking about because they they would say something like, well, it's a constitutional right. But no one would ever actually probe what that statement actually said. How is it a right for you to take the life of another just because you have the power to do so? And that was the whole argument in the Dobbs case. Because finally, a case came up where the issue was about viability. If a child could live outside of the womb, then you don't have the right to take its life. But you see, even that argument, if you start to go down that slippery slope, the question is, when is a child truly viable? Is it the day it's born, well, you can leave it there right in the operating room and it will probably die of exposure in a very short amount of time. And there are bills now that have been brought into law in New York and in California where if a baby was supposed to be aborted but is born alive, it can be left to die. That is, that kind of, that is the most evil thing that you could ever do to a child. And yet there are legislators who voted with glee to do that. They even lit up the Empire State Building pink so that they could celebrate that they voted such a law uh, into being. Again, a culture will be judged by what it does with the most innocent among them. And the whole viability argument in Dobbs was you don't have the right to actually do that to a human being, period. So on this day when we march and we celebrate that at least now we can dialogue with each other about what it exactly it is that we're doing when we abort a child. The question still comes, why is the sanctity of life so controversial? Because the sanctity of life is basically saying the state cannot determine that an innocent life is not worth living. And just because someone has the power over you to do that, they don't have the right to do that. That's why all life is sacred, and it comes from God, and we have to at least treat each other at that level of humanity to be a civil society. And so, you know, again, when we talk about all these kinds of issues, the, the question is, what do, what do we support? What are we challenging? 
what is being offered? What are the threats to the pro-life view of life today? Why should that matter to everybody, even to those with whom we disagree? And why must it, of course, matter to believers? And then finally, defend and offer, contend and serve. We have to defend the sanctity of life for all. And then we have to offer that way of life for the sake of others. And then we even have to contend for that and serve even those with whom we disagree. This is the way we must engage this issue for the sake of all. So that's what we're going to talk about today because we are going to be marching in the March for Life this Friday. And what a day that's going to be. And, and we've been doing this now for over five years, six years actually now and counting. And one of the things that I always admired about this march was, number one, it's one of the most positive protests, if you want to use that kind of terminology, in the culture today. These are people, if they're protesting, even when there were some dark days in the pro-life movement, it's one of the most joyous events you can be a part of because it's celebrating life. It's celebrating the life uh, of the most vulnerable among us. And that includes the baby in the womb. It also includes people as they age because there's a growing euthanasia movement in this culture today too, one that looks at those who are older and less useful to society as people define that kind of stuff today and saying, well, why do we actually have to honor them? What a scary question coming from people who are unmoored, unmoored, from their roots, uh, their biblical roots, their, their, their roots of kindness, their roots of understanding the, the honoring of one's father and mother, honoring one's elders, those kind of things. Wow, if we become, if we become this utilitarian culture, what's to stop people from saying, well, euthanasia says it's time for you to go? So as we look at this, it, this is one of those issues that the church... We don't have, the church doesn't have a way to say this isn't important. The Bible, the Bible's a fundamental book about life. In him, you will have life and you will have it in abundance. And, And God is the author of life. God is the author, the creator, the judge of all life. Your body is not your own. Your life is not your own. You were given that as a gracious gift by God. And he even thinks so highly of you that he was willing to redeem you by sending his son to live your life, to die your death, and to give you his life as a gift. So one of the reasons that we're in Washington, D.C. is to fight for religious liberty so that we can proclaim the whole counsel of God on the Bible's terms, but also to defend and be an advocate for the sanctity of life. Now, it's really interesting one of the accusations that was always made against the Christian church, starting again from like 1973 on, is, oh, you're just a single-issue voter. Well, if the single issue is about the sanctity of human life, the humanity of humanity, the civility of humanity, well, then, yes, we are a single-issue voter. Because what does any of this mean if we can be incivil, we can be intolerant, and we can begin to destroy the most vulnerable among us as if it's okay, as long as it uh, doesn't get in the way of our personal goals? 
if yeah, if we're going to be a single issue voter, this would be the one to be a single issue voter on. I remember reading when uh, Mother Teresa was here in Washington, D.C. many, many years ago during the Clinton administration, I believe. And she looked, you know, she was just this little itty bitty looking over the microphone and she just said, we've got to we've got to rise above the culture of death. And she was talking about America. And then she talked about what it means to actually start to treat people as human beings, first and foremost, made in the image of God. So we're in D.C. to be an advocate for the sanctity of life, because without the sanctity of life, I mean, what's the point of any of this stuff? So by saying that we're single issue, what we're really saying is, no, no, this is a fundamental issue. There are fundamental issues. Religious liberty is a fundamental issue. Sanctity of life is a fundamental issue. Marriage as a religious liberty issue is a fundamental issue. And I would even add to that educational freedom so we can raise our children virtuously via education. So we can even put science and mathematics and higher learning, if you will, in the context of what it means to be a human being. Yeah, even that is a religious liberty issue for us, and it's a fundamental issue. And so when I say fundamental, uh, singular voter fundamental, yeah, because sanctity of life, um, you know, it's the kind of thing that causes us to look with outrage uh, when we see the unwillingness of people to treat other people with civility and humanity. Uh, I remember the, the article where people who believe in the sanctity of marriage, they believe in the sanctity of life, and waiters would not serve them. And I'm, I'm pretty sure if they would, you know, they would do all kinds of things to their food, too. And I'm just thinking, what, what are you talking about? There's all kinds of people with whom I disagree, but if I was a waiter, I would serve them as if I was serving anybody else. Sanctity of life demands that. Intolerance uh, creates a whole different world. Because of the sanctity of life, uh, there's, there should be even more outrage. I, I, this thing, to me, I grew up in Detroit, and for me, uh, Dr. Ben Carson's been a, a great friend to the LCRL, but he's also been a, a, a great advocate of, of moral values, of, of healthy values in our country. And what an incredible human being and yet a, a, a school board had the audacity to remove his name from a Detroit school. I mean, it's just ridiculous. People should be aspiring to be like this person in our culture. The sanctity of life it would cause our outrage for that incivility. Because of the sanctity of life, we assert that no human life can be deemed not worthy just because a person or a government deems it so. So our our first efforts in D.C. is we work with the LCMS on this uh, particular truth, if you will, and we're an advocate of that truth to the Congress, to the Senate, uh, to the White House, no matter who's in, in charge. And uh, we, we work and support other pro-life groups, Lutherans for Life, the National Right to Life, the March for Life. And first of all, we, we join with all, and the bishops, all kinds of other organizations here on the Hill, we join as advocates for life because we affirm that the preciousness of life is the key to virtually everything else that matters. It's foundational to who we are and what we do as beings created in God's image. I've told this story 
several times before. But I was in an immigration hearing one time, and I was asked to share um, what the church's view was on this. It was really interesting, the church's view on this. And I'm sure there are other people who might disagree with, with my presentation that day. But really, it got down to some basic stuff in that room. And there were people on both sides of the aisle, and it was, it was quite a contentious meeting. And finally, one, one uh, young man, I think he was uh, ahead of one of the senator's office, office, chief of staff kind of thing, or high, high-ranking staffer. He said, this issue so contentious is dividing our country. How can we come together? And I'll never forget, you know, I wanted to jump up and say this, but the rabbi who was on the panel with me jumped up first. And he said, if we could all actually start treating each other as made in the image of God, that we have, that there's a sacredness to life, we could start to get past some of these issues or at least come together even when we disagree. And I always ask people, how do you think the room reacted to that? And almost to a person they think they say things like, "Well, I'm sure people started to groan. Oh my gosh, there's another religious person, et cetera, et cetera." No, standing ovation, loud applause, because they knew it was true. They knew it was true. And you know, when I when I think about that, it was such a powerful moment. But I then raised my hand. And I didn't mean to break the solemnity of that moment, but I finally said, well, but here's my problem. I agree with you, Rabbi. I said, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, Our dignity, our humanity comes from something bigger than the state. It comes from being created in the image of God. But here's the problem. If you said that outside of this room, if you said that in any public hearing, if you said that in any public classroom at one of our universities, you would receive an F. If you said that on any campaign trail, you would be written about, disdained, you would be besmirched, you would be demonized. And I said, that's the problem with our country today. That these fundamental truths, for some reason, have to be jettisoned so that we can get on with the utopian dream. Well, unfortunately, you get rid of these fundamental truths. There is no dream. There's only a nightmare around the corner. Now, again, this goes back to biblical truths. In Acts 17, St. Paul affirms that God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So it's the God of the Bible who gives life to all things. That's what 1 Timothy 6.13 says. Who at the very creation of humanity breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And that's how man becomes a living being. It's, again, created in God's image. And this is the foundation of a civil society. This is the foundation of liberty, of justice, and even what I call a healthy tolerance of people who disagree with you. And by the way, tolerance is not a virtue. Tolerance is a byproduct of virtues. And the virtue is the sanctity of life. So again, the real time, where we're at again today, you know, we, Dobbs may have said it's not a constitutional issue, but now we have to talk about it as civilized human beings. And today, our culture is at war with such a view of life. And as a result, also at war with liberty, with justice and tolerance. And Francis Shaver talked about this in his, in his book, Whatever Happened to the Human Race? 
And I'm going to quote something here. He said, he said, if man is not made in the image of God, then nothing stands in the way of man's inhumanity to man. There is no good reason why mankind should be perceived as special. Human life is cheapened. We can see this in many of the major issues being debated in our society today. Abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, the increase of child abuse and violence of all kinds, pornography, the routine torture of political prisoners in many parts of the world, the crime explosion, random violence which surrounds us. The root of it is the disdain for life. Now, so the first thing is we're an advocate for life. Why? Because our our society depends on it. But the second thing and, and we're again celebrating this this week as we march in the victory that occurred this last year that we, we finally got Roe v. Wade overturned. And now we can start to actually foster a culture of life again. But the, the second thing is this. We have got to fight against this notion of life not worth living. And folks, you don't realize how dangerous this is. You know, when you look at how the Nazis rose to power... One of the ways they did it is they secularized everything. They demonized faith. They demonized the notion that people could be created in the image of God or that there was this notion of humanity that was sacred above the state. They got rid of that notion, and then they started to categorize certain lives as not worth living. And once you do that, you can do all kinds of things to humanity. And by the way, they started with their own. They didn't get to the Jewish folks until the very end of, of the the final solution was the Jews because the Jews believed that uh, humanity had a dignity because it was created by God you see that's the final solution it wasn't that the it wasn't ethnic cleansing per se it was cleansing that idea that happened to reside in that ethnicity they even thought Christians were a Jewish sect you know Hitler did and he thought we got to wipe this off the face of the planet if we want to you know, bring our national socialist um, utopia to fruition. So again, as we look at all these things, some good things have happened. Um, I remember reading an article back in the day, Josh Howley talked about how Roe v. Wade is bad law. Well, that law is, is, is now gone, and it's now back at the legislatures. But look what some of these legislatures did these last couple of years. I mean, my, or this last year, they actually wrote some laws that were even more heinous then Roe v. Wade. And, and folks, just to, so you understand this, our laws in some of the states that we have, that where this has been enacted, they're equivalent or they're, they're equal standing alongside of places like North Korea and China. Western Europe has made abortion illegal, I think, the, the, the longest is after 14 weeks. But there's some laws where it's after 12 weeks it's illegal because they understand the inhumanity of treating the child in the womb, which is docile, domicile in the woman's body, but is not a part of the woman's body like a uh, uh, like an appendix or like a, an organ. It's actually a child in and of itself, by its DNA and by its uh, and by its uh, molecular and physical maturation. Now the challenge is: let the moral people decide. Well. It, what what is your view on this and and how is it you know such a thing where we honor uh, motherhood we honor fatherhood we try to keep families together Ch- children are a blessing to our relationships not a disease that happens on a one night stand i mean this is these are the issues that we've got to contend with 
And if pro-life is defeated as a movement in our country, then the Kermit Gosnells uh, and the selling of the baby parts and all these things, killing children, becoming an industry, it, it should bother you that uh, liquor stores and um, abortion clinics are in the poorest parts of our country. It should bother you that the abortion industry was started to actually wipe out black people. It should bother you that it's the most racist organization in our culture. It's amazing to me today that it's gotten away with its history. Um, When people say I'm pro-choice, they're avoiding the issue. What exactly are you doing to that child and why? And what what does it mean to be a, a, a person who actually values or devalues life? And so, again, if you can deal with the reality of choice as saying well, a child can be disposed of because their lives are not worth living or, or older people's lives are not yet productive society or the elderly. I mean, a society finally is ultimately judged by what it does with its most vulnerable. And a child in the womb who should be nurtured by mothers, protected, directed, and disciplined by fathers, and the elderly whose voices of maturation and maturity and moral reasoning uh, should be a blessing to the young, those who we honor and care for. We're, we're getting rid of all of that. So a few more thoughts on this 50th anniversary of the very first March for Life. There is a pro-life movement in this country, and it continues continuously is underreported. It's even mocked by those uh, who actually are the, the people who, f- f- you know, fashion our cultural message through media, entertainment, politics and education. But it's one of those things where, again, we have to pray for our country. There's, const- there's still many children who are being killed every, every day. And we need to support lifting up you know, prayers for, our, for the people who are ravaged by this. And I sometimes, you know, in, in getting to know a lot of the people who are leaders in the pro-life movement, it's amazing, again, to, to see how much pressure is exerted on people to dispose of children. Sometimes the mother wants the child and it feels pressured, even by the, the husband or by the family. And again, when you say, well, here's $200, go get rid of it. It's your choice. All the pressure then is, is unleashed on that young mother and, and that child. And we should be a nation better than that. Vote across the board. I'm telling you, if they don't stand for life, they're not worthy of your support as politicians. Present pro-life as as a purposeful, joyful way to live life. That's number three. Because pro-life is a life that honors God, it honors family, it honors community, it honors those even with whom we disagree, it undergirds fundamental, inherent dignity of all human beings, it tempers government abuse of people's lives, it limits their involvement in people's lives, because each person has intrinsic value. It's also pro-science. But again, about the facts and data, science can't even tell us what's the moral thing to do about this. There's something else even bigger than science that tells us, no, we're human. We're not just a mass of cells, and we're not just an accident of nature. And so, do number four, do what you can with the politics of the issue. I, I'm still telling you, vote for judges who will continue to support the sanctity of life. But get ready to deal with people who feel that the killing of children, even if it's born alive, is their right to do. And the final thought is speak the truth in love. 
And, you know, when I say that, it, it sounds so easy to do. It is not easy to do because the truth actually challenges us. The truth actually calls us to repentance. And so we've got to speak the truth in love with a gentleness and a humility, but also with a courage because people's lives are at stake. And the March for Life has positively shared this message uh, for over 50 years. And this is going to be a year of celebration. And we pray that it's just the beginning. We've gotten to the starting line of trying to turn our culture from a culture of death back to a culture of life. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. The program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries.